There are going to be some stories shared this morning, but I really want to begin this morning by sharing the ending of someone else's story. It's a story from the book of Genesis. It is a story of Joseph. And I'm just going to kind of share this in, in sort of anecdotal story form. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, the father of all Israel. All right? And at the end of his life, end of Joseph's life, Joseph ends up second in command of the most powerful and wealthy nation on the earth. He had the privilege of saving his entire family and thus nation from starvation and certain death. He was uh, assured that his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, would be successful. Even when they were still just little babies. He was assured his two sons would live successful, prosperous lives and become the head of two tribes of Israel. He would live long enough to see his great, great grandchild. This was the end of a full, bountiful, and awesome life. But what led up to this life were dozens of unlikely choices, chance meetings, even seemingly unfortunate circumstances. all had to occur for this all to end in a very good life. I was reflecting back on this this past week. So I want to share some of the things that had to occur in Joseph's life to get him to the place of ending with a very good life. Joseph started by making a very youthful and impetuous decision to talk to his brothers about a dream he had had. A dream of them all bowing down to him. He not only shared this once, but he shared it twice. Which seems a very unwise, this is much wiser to just stay silent. Jacob had to decide, Jacob is, again, Joseph's father, had to decide to send Joseph to see how his other sons were doing, raising sheep one day. Jacob had to believe his sons were grazing at Shechem, a well-populated and safe town. If he had known they were in a different place called Dothan, which was further away and less civilized out in the boondocks, Jacob would most likely not have sent his son Joseph after them. When Joseph gets to Shechem, he accidentally runs into a stranger who happened to know where his brothers were and was friendly enough to engage in a conversation and initiate one with Joseph. That stranger says he knew the brothers' whereabouts because he happened to overhear a very random conversation of a bunch of workmen in the field, a conversation he shouldn't have probably been snooping into but heard anyway. Once he does meet the brothers, it's only because they're in such a remote place that they can get away with disposing of Joseph, this man who said that all of them would bow down to. Because it was a remote place, a wilderness kind of area. The, the story they would tell their father that Joseph was attacked by an animal could actually sound plausible because they were in a wilderness type of area. The older brother, the oldest brother, Reuben, the only one who said, who refused for any harm to come to Joseph, just happened to be away that day from the other ten brothers. So it freed them up to first try to kill Joseph and then sell him into slavery. And he happened to be sold to the Egyptian pharaoh's head of secret service, a man named Potiphar, which would then allow him to meet eventually the pharaoh himself and become second in command of all of Egypt. Now, it would be far easier to not think about what happens 
when you get to the end of such a life. Or to view all these hundreds of little coincidences forming a person's destiny. It's just, just, just that coincidence. But that's not how Joseph sees it. The last words we ever hear Joseph utter are to those brothers who intended him such harm. And here's what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. See, guys, Joseph reflected back on all these little coincidences, quote-unquote, and he had the courage to see God's sovereign hand working in and through each one of them. His own impetuous decisions as a youth, rash as they were, right? Mistreatment, the cruel mistreatment at the hand of his very blood brothers. And finally, also not hearing God answer his prayer for nearly 20 years as he later would sit in an Egyptian prison waiting for God to answer. Answer. 20 years go by. At sunrise, we believe similarly that God is working our greatest good through even our own bad decisions, even the mistreatment we sometimes experience at the hands of others, and sometimes even God remaining silent for years on end, even the most heartfelt prayers. Even then, we trust, we believe that God is working his greatest good in our lives, even in such circumstances. So we're going to sing here in a minute. And after we sing, you're going to hear some people reflect back on their lives and can't help but see God at work at all these moments that they didn't expect or even want to bring about some greater, more beautiful, more than they can ask and imagine good in their life, the greatest good that God planned. So I want you to encourage you now to take time yourself to reflect, to add up those moments, even as we sing, And consider sharing the greatest good that he has worked in, through, and for you. You'll have that opportunity after we sing. So let's all stand and sing together and reflect back on how good God has been to us. Well, is this on? Is mic on? Okay, cool. Uh, I never thought I'd be standing here sharing, but after all, Joseph and the tough times and the vindication. It basically reminds me of a story that began two years ago. I'm not going to spend all that time because it's... So the client was wrong, and I was right, because the client was breaking various rules with the regulator with SEMA, and the client did not like to hear that he was wrong. So I was ambushed in a board meeting by one of the directors... And I remember it all came to a head when I actually confronted this person and others by email. I knew that this was going to be my suicide note regarding this relationship. Um, I actually recommended we determine the relationship with the client. My boss in Jamaica overruled me. And that's where the problem began. He summoned me to Jamaica for a telling off on why I'd done this. And I refused to apologize. I refused. And he changed the relationship where he took over the relationship and sat me in the corner. It was like being sent to the corner for being a naughty boy. So I had that going on for a year and a half. At the same time, I lost my best friend in Christ here who went back to South Africa. Uh, And so I was really in a tough place. And I remember in the Lord at the time saying, okay, Lord, we're in for a long innings and we have to just basically walk together. And thank you, Jesus, and I love you and I know you're... 
you're sovereign, even though I don't feel it. And I remember a year and a half elapsed, same thing happening. And I remember I got to a position when I had lunch with a friend who works for another management company. And I said, you guys want to buy an insurance manager? Um, I, want to, I, I, want to, I want you to take us over. He said, no, but we're not into buying companies, but we want you. So this is a guy, and from that revolution, I think that was uh, like November last year. And then in March this year, I accepted the offer. But during that time, I remember being set free, knowing that I was going, and I suddenly relaxed. And I remember a big time when I actually left. It was like when the enemy has got you with his thumb on you, and he knows he's got you. But then I know the Lord had a plan to get me out. And as soon as God executed that plan and I moved, that very day the enemy started bowling in cricket. If you ever watch a game of cricket and they really don't like you. Just bouncers bowling at your head. Um, they had a series in 1933 called Bodyline where they deliberately bowled at your body. Um, they did that at their best batsman. Um, but I remember that time when three things happened on the day of my departure. Number one, the guy who I thought was my friend who worked for another management company, was going to take over our work. He was hostile to me. Totally unexpected. He's godfather to one of my boys. Number two, I found out that the, reg- that the person handling my, P- my status application had not paid two years of fees to the government. I suddenly got a letter from SEMA, from, from, from the immigration, you pay these fees or you get off the island. And my application to status was in. Number three, about a week later, my boss... From my new boss from uh, Bermuda and his CEO came to the island. And during that week, Matthew had, a car, Matthew had an accident at school. And it was a difficult week. I was basically disrupted with dealing with family matters. And I looked at that and I thought, that's the enemy. He's trying to keep you down. And it's like, during that time, I, I saw it for what it was. I saw that Jesus was Lord. I saw that, okay, he's mad. I'm in God's will. You know when you really attacked for, for no rational reason, that's a good sign. means you're in God's, center of God's will and God's going to do something absolutely great. So see for what it is and cling on to God right throughout and you will see his delivery. And I can see that subsequent to that delivery, I'm nine months in, I see the company has its issues, but it's still a honeymoon. It's still a honeymoon. The guy I work for, He's coming to Cayman this week to spend a few days. It's like God handpicked him as my boss. He reminds me of an elder I used to have, a, uh, I used to walk with, in back 15 years ago. He reminds me so much of this guy, gentle, knowledgeable, kind. And I think, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you. And I, and I just want to know that you guys, tough times is a given for the Christian faith. It's like expected, but when you're in there, you've got your relationship with Jesus. Use it. Use it. Stand on the word of God. Stand on Ephesians 6. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6. I've well used those, those, those chapters. There's a whole lot of good stuff in there about who you are in Christ. Hold on to it. And you'll see God's delivery. It's a long time. The story began in, March, in, April, in August 2013. It's over two and a half years the, story, the, the, the event happened. But it doesn't stop you seeing that God delivers you. It's a test match. It's not a, it's not a 2020 series this life. It's a test match. And you have to stand firm and know who you are in Christ. And that's my story.
Good morning, brothers and sisters, fellow human beings. It was a no-brainer for me to, to, when I heard that this was going to be a time to um, join into the uh, Cayman Thanksgiving that I would be up here because God is worth it. I couldn't sit there and not say, yes, God is good, God is wonderful, God has blessed me in many, many ways. So just, um, that's my Thanksgiving. And I'm adding to that uh, a testimony. And I, I hope that I can do as well, because I know I can say thank you to God, and I do. But I hope I can share my testimony in a way that will make sense and uh, be an encouragement as to what God has done and God is continuing to do. So we, we're all uh, traveling from birth to eternity, and each one takes a different path. So I want to share a little bit about my path. And I guess it starts young. I was raised in a traditional church, believed in God, the Bible, heaven and hell, sin, and that Jesus died on the cross for us. And uh, so as a young boy, I remember being probably about 10, alone with my mom and dad in a car, and I asked this question. I said, can I know if I'm going to heaven? And my mom said, you have to wait and see. And that wasn't very encouraging, because what I envisioned of that time, I could see myself being summoned up in, on this stage, and everyone was sitting around like this that knew me, and what was going to be unveiled was everything that I had ever done. And even at 10 years old, I didn't want anybody to know. So that was where I looked forward to. And uh, the church also would have taught that the way to get to heaven is by doing good. And I obviously knew that I wasn't that good. So I went on from there, knowing what I should do, but doing what I did do. And that went on through my high school years, and I kind of had this dark cloud over my activities and stuff. Uh, until one day I was on campus, college campus, at an anti-war rally. And during the Vietnam era, school was closed, we were just hanging out. And there was an open mic, and a fellow stood up named Josh McDowell. He's with He's a Christian apologist, and he's with Campus Crusade for Christ. And he said, now get this, remember my, mom, my question to my mom, can I know if I'm going to heaven? And he said to the crowd, among other things, you can know you're going to heaven. And he quoted 1 John 5.13, these things are written so that you might know that you have eternal life, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And I was, he had my attention. And in the crowd, there were others that, uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ that were sharing the four spiritual laws. So uh, someone came up to me and shared the four spiritual laws, which is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But we're all sinners and don't deserve to go to heaven. Jesus died for us and paid for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And law number four is that if we'll accept Jesus Christ as our Savior we will have eternal life. And this was a free gift. I was excited. This is good news. That's what the gospel means. But I was excited. I got a, a copy of the Four Spiritual Laws. I shared it with my girlfriend and friends and everybody. You know, this is good stuff. 
And for the next three and a half years, I knew, didn't, I knew what I should do, but I did what I did do. But God is faithful. And here's my thanks to God. God is faithful. He didn't give up on me. He kept sending me an offer to accept his, his gift. You know, whether or not I was hitchhiking in San Francisco or Seattle or sitting at a, at a bus depot, people came on the beach of San Diego. God kept reaching out to me, and I thank him for that. Um, before I went in the Navy, I was visited with my brother who was in the, in the Peace Corps, He'd been through college ahead of me, and I shared with him the four spiritual laws, and he said, that can't be. When he left college, God was dead. He was, had become an agnostic at best, and uh, he just couldn't believe that there was a movement to accept Jesus among young people. Um, so I went into the Navy, and I didn't do what I should do, but I did do what I did do. Ended up getting discharged. My counselor on the way out, a believer, invited me to come to a a Christian meeting, and I knew what I should do, but I did do what I did do. So when I got out, I went home, and there was my brother from the Peace Corps. And he shared with me the four spiritual laws. And then he invited me to a campus meeting where Josh McDowell was speaking. I mean, I was, you know, God was reaching out, and there's no doubt that he was faithful. I could have walked away. I could have been dead during those days, but he was faithful, and he kept reaching out. Um, so I heard Josh McDowell, and a few days later, I did what I should do. And I surrendered my life to Jesus, accepted him as my Savior, and has been 40-some years ago. I've never looked back. I know I have eternal life because of what he did for me. Two questions that um, I think are relevant to all or to any who might still have questions is if you were to die, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? I mean, you can answer that, yes, that's the best answer. No, maybe, I hope so, I don't know. Another question would be, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and you should say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I've heard a variety of answers. Well, because you're good, you love, I haven't killed anybody. I'll pay for my own sins. I've heard it. Anyhow, I'll just leave it with this, that God is good, and I'm very thankful that he reached out to me, saved me, my wife.
Well, I'm Susan, and this is Bill, and um, we don't live here. We um, are just here on vacation, but I'm not much of a speaker, but I am a really big crier, so <laughs> that's your, my disclaimer. So, But I just wanted to share my thanks to the Lord for what he's done. Sorry. In our marriage, we have been believers for a long time, and uh, we're both pretty strong personality types. And so uh, our flesh can be very strong at times. And um, I would say over the past two years, though, as um, we have five children and as they have kind of moved out and we kind of were in that empty nest place, um, my perfectionism kicked in to a new level. And I began no longer having children to try to fix and manage. I began to try to manage my husband, and that caused some problems. Um, And... um, you know, but we've worked through and talked through a lot of things through the years, but um, some things began to break inside of me, and I think I just started listening to a lot of lies that the, the enemy was speaking to me. Um, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but probably a year ago, I really had gotten to the point um, in my life as well of being in my 50s and kind of going through the change of life stuff. That's been challenging as well, and so... Um, there were just some things that where I felt like I had just given up hope. And one of my life verses is Joshua 1.9. Do not be dismayed. Have I not told you? Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Um, for I am the Lord your God, and I'm with you wherever you go and everything that you're going through. But I got dismayed, and I couldn't see um, clearly in our marriage anymore that there was any hope for our relationship. I was trying to communicate and I didn't feel like he could hear me and couldn't hear my heart. So a year ago, it got really intense, and I began to lose a lot of hope. And I began, you know, thinking a lot, it was just me, it was me, and I began asking for marriage counseling and help. And he tried to find some counselors, and I kept knocking down the ones that he found, like, oh, no, I don't like the way he looks or whatever, you know. And so um, I was fighting against him without even knowing it. But um, anyway... um, Things really came to a head probably in the spring of this year. And we, um, I, I wrote a little letter to him. And I just said, I don't know what to do. I, and I just kind of poured my heart out, you know, and really, and really wanted him to take the reins and, again, asking for help for counseling or whatever. And right after that letter, um, we went on a trip to Chicago to see our daughter. And um, he confessed some sin to me on that trip that he had had in his life and he had been holding on to for a little while. And mostly he had held on to it, not telling me. And we've been real open throughout our marriage, but he hadn't told me because he was just afraid of my reaction because he really felt like I had, I had given up on wanting a relationship with him as well. So we were really both believing lies. But anyway, after that, that was devastating, and we came home, and the Lord just led us to a marriage counselor at that point. I mean, it was desperate. We were in crisis. And the Lord just began to do a work. And um, we have gotten connected to a group as well that have dealt with um, sexual addiction stuff. And anyway, the Lord has just opened up my heart back to restore our relationship. And, um, and to give me trust in my husband. And that is awesome. And so... It's so hard when you know truths in your head, but you can't quite get your heart there. So anyway, I just want to give thanks to the Lord for his timing 
and for the path that he took us through. Um, because it has um, drawn us closer to one another and closer to him. Amen. I have uh, known the Lord for quite a while. My sister was killed when she was 13 and I was 11 years old. And she was riding a horse and broke all four legs off the horse right here. Um, And I was given a Bible and I read the Bible and came to know Christ and um, and from that point on, I have really uh, loved the Lord and grown f- to love the Lord over the years. And interesting enough, in our marriage of 30-plus years, I have really always desired that Susan would know Christ in a way that I did. And then about 10 years ago, I um, started praying, and I remember just crying before the Lord. I said, God, would you, would you take the anointing that's on me and give it to my wife? And I had no idea what the Lord was going to do with that. But I know that he completely just crushed me after that. And, uh, and I just began to just be attacked by the devil and feeling defeated in so many ways. Uh, and through just a series of events, really made some bad choices. And ultimately speaking... What um, how, I felt like how the Lord had used me to rescue my wife in one way, and then all of a sudden, I came to a place of just you know absolute bankruptcy. And what really just blew me away was the fact that God then used my wife to show me what His grace looks like, and 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 I've never seen that before in a in a, in a person. You know, I've, I've, I have that in Christ, and I know what God's forgiveness looks like there, but I've never seen a person that, that I have hurt and wounded as much as I did my wife, which would be the same way that I've offended my Heavenly Father when I've sinned against Him. You know, I sinned against my wife, and then for my wife, for God to move in her heart and give her grace to then forgive me the same way that he forgives me, you know, just completely, yes, you know, yes, I forgive you, um, is mind-blowing. Absolutely just, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And um, amidst all this, I just have to share this because God has um, used me a lot in terms of just sharing the gospel. And... Um, and this couple of weeks ago, I remember went down to Jefferson County Jail in Birmingham, Alabama, and I told the chaplain there I just wanted to go hang out with the prisoners. And so I said, "Just put me in there. Just going to sit and talk to me." He said, "Now, do you want to talk to them by themselves, what, in, in, or in a group?" And I said, "No, just one on one." So I sat down with this guy that I was sharing with, and then another guy came up. And, um, and interesting enough is I was I was kind of using the four spiritual laws, um, is that. A template that I was sharing with, um, and we were actually reading the Gospel of John, chapter three. And one guy came up, and then, then another guy came up, and then you know, and it was just all of a sudden before I realized that there was about eight guys that were standing there, you know, and we were had, and I had given up trying to go back in time to try to make sure everybody was on the same page because it was just like, okay, fine, 
you know. <laughs> so I remember just going, and, and I had gone in there saying, I really didn't want to share in a group. I just want to share one-on-one, and now there's this group of guys there. And then finally, at the end, I was just like, well, I just don't know what to do. And I just said, well, let me just pray for y'all. And so I, we just stood up, and we just kind of did this group hug. And I just started praying, and, and the Lord just said to me, they're where they need to be right now. Right now, in this moment, they have nothing to do. We would given them Bibles. They could read the Bibles, and it was like, right now, I was like, right now, this is a great time. Read the Bible where you are right at this moment. And so I began to pray for them, and then I just said, you know, if anybody here wants to give their life to Christ, just bow your head. And so, and just repeat after me, and then I just started saying, Lord Jesus... I need you. And, and then in unison, all those guys together started saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. Please come into my heart. And the best way I know how, I'll open up the door of my life for you to come in to be my Lord and Savior. And I was like going like, how could this be possible that all these guys that I really don't know are now, this is like a men's choir. The guys are like doing this in unison. I didn't even think that was possible. That got to people that could pray together in unison. And so those eight men came to know Christ. And it was just like the Lord, you know, has restored our relationship. Given, given forgiveness in a way that I will never, ever just believe and understand. But then God took this anointing and gave it to my wife. And then he gave it back to me because she came and rescued me through forgiveness. I mean, I know there's married people here today. And I know that we all want our marriage partners to do what they're supposed to do. But the most powerful thing you can do is to forgive and ask forgiveness. And so um, praise the Lord. God is good. Okay, Um, there seems to be a bit of a theme developing this morning, and uh, as some of you will know, Maggie and I face many, many difficult decisions in work and work-related things throughout the year. This has been particularly the case, and there have been quite a lot of occasions when we've got to the point where it would have been easier to have given up than to have carried on. But our experience has been that God will always provide what we need, not necessarily when we want it, but at some time uh, around the time we want it. And I was reading earlier this week in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, where Paul was writing, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Strange concept in itself. Why can we rejoice when we run into problems and trials? For we know they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And what struck me in that is that we didn't go straight from the problems and the trials to the hope. It had to go through endurance. And endurance doesn't come quickly. But even when you've got endurance... It develops strength of character, and that doesn't come quickly. But the outcome, through what we experience in those times, is our confident hope. Thank you.
Good morning. Um, I didn't want to share, but the song came up and I knew I had to. Um, God lifted my load a few weeks ago. Um, I was feeling very down and in this dark place. Um, felt very insecure at my work. Felt very insecure in my marriage. Um, with friendships, everything. I came, didn't share it with anyone. My husband didn't know what was going on. I just kept ba- blaming it on the fact that I miss home and miss my parents. And I started to resent my husband for being here. And God kept pressing on my heart and kept giving me this verse. Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And I kept ignoring it and I kept going into this deeper hole. And at the prayer vigil, God just opened my heart and I knew that I just had to be still. I started working longer hours. I had less time for God or to be still and alone with God. And the first morning I made time for him again. I just felt relief and peace in my heart and showed me that everything is fine. It's all in my head. It's negative emotions that the enemy keeps putting in my heart and in my mind and that it's not true and that God is in control and that he can take you out of any situation and I'm thankful this morning that I know that I can get peace when, I'm at, when I am still with God. And I'm thankful for my community group. This all happened in one week where it was the prayer vigil and where God opened my heart. And that Thursday at my community group, they prayed for us, for, for our marriage and for me. And the next morning I woke up with renewed energy and I've been, everything has been wonderful again since that day. So I'm just thankful that we can trust God and know that he is in control no matter in what situation we are. Good morning. My name is Rachel. Um, my life story has, um, lots of situations where God has just proven himself faithful and just protected me from a lot of things, and I don't have time to go into all the stories, but, um, one story I really felt led to share with you today, um, is really more my parents' story than mine, because uh, it's about my birth. Um, when my mom was pregnant with me, um... I think she was about seven months pregnant when she got spinal meningitis, and it ended up causing a lot of complications for me in the womb. And the doctors did lots of ultrasounds, lots of tests, and came to find out that I was supposed to be born um, with severe mental handicaps, that I would be deaf, and I would be without arms. And seven months pregnant, my mom is a nurse, she can read ultrasounds, and she said, it's true, like, it's not like my arms were behind my back, I literally had no arms at seven months pregnant. And the doctor that they had um, 
said to them, like, this child's an abomination. How dare you allow someone like this into the world? Like, you need to have an abortion. That's, you're cruel by allowing this child into the world. And so my parents are Christians, and they were debating, like, what do we do about this? Um, you know, this is going to change the rest of our life because we have to care for this child every day. And, you know, ultimately they came down to, like, we believe that, you know, Christ will strengthen us and help us through anything that we go through and that, you know, life is sacred. And so they decided to keep me and um, they ended up switching doctors because the doctor wouldn't deliver me at that, if they were going to have me. And uh, at that point, they just said, okay, no more ultrasounds, no more tests. We're just going to pray and trust God that no matter what happens, we'll be you know, strengthened in him. And they even, before I was born, enrolled me into a school um, that would teach me how to do things with my feet. So, like, right when I was born, they, they would start training me how to do things like that. And so then the time came for me to be born, and, like, you know, the process is done. And then as soon as I came out, the first thing they said was, oh, my goodness, she has arms, she has arms. And I know you were shocked. You didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Uh, but so they did all the tests and I was born, had arms, um, mentally, I was all good. I graduated from college, have good mind. Um, I was deaf when I was born, um, hundred percent deaf in this year and 80% deaf in this year. Uh, I didn't have any surgeries. I didn't have any treatment. And by the time I was five, God healed me and I passed my first hearing test at age five. And yeah, um, and I do have a hip problem thing too that I was born with, but God healed me. I couldn't walk till I was over two years old, but um, I was able to walk. And I even went on when I went to university, I was able to play college soccer. So God healed me in that as well. And basically, all that to say, that situation. Obviously, I don't remember being born, but God used that to show me you know, that he has a purpose for my life and he is faithful to deliver me from any problem that may come in. And even when I don't see the future, I don't know what's going to happen, that God has my hand. And I just want to encourage you that God can work miracles and whatever your situation is, God is there. He loves you. He'll be faithful to you and just trust in him.